Hey guys, just wanted to give you an update on what's going on on the In The Money Network. The Matt Bernier Show will have dropped yesterday. Matt's still doing his $100 challenge, so go check that out. Jake Ballas is the new guest this week on JK Plus One. And the Sonic 5 Show is back. So for all of you low takeout lovers, check out how PTF and JK break down the sequence. And last but not least, on this week's Talking Racing with Naomi, Vanessa Benny Riley stops by to talk Royal Ascot, and I'm hoping that they talk about a certain grass sire from this past weekend's European races. And now let's get started with this episode of Red Board Rewind right now. Welcome to episode 37 of Red Board Rewind. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. Today my special guest is the pick four analyst for Santa Anita Park, Frank Scatoni. We go over races from last weekend at Santa Anita, and some angles we cover are how being against a bad favorite can lead you to a nice long shot, you can still find good value at a low price, and how analyzing late race information like the tote board can make you a better player. This is Red Board Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. It ain't good for me. What we do this for? We go back and forth. Won't do this no more. Always have to sell it. 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 And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, Frank Scatoni. Frank, how are you today? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me on, Spencer. Absolutely. Heard you on PTF show late last week, previewing a couple of the races we're going to go over today. Tell me, has anything seemed different to you with the meet coming back? Any different angles or you know post-position stuff have you seen since the meet started up a couple weeks ago? You know... I think everything's been pretty fair, and I, I just want to sh- give a shout out to Santa Anita the way they just, you know, weathered the storm and then came back and and put putting on a good show for us. Not only from the the, the, the top management level, uh, but all the way down. I mean, to the to the backstretch workers, and uh, you know, you get the jockeys living on site. So there's a tremendous amount of effort that's gone on to put on a good show for the betters. Um, it can't be stated enough. Uh, and I am really lucky here in California to have a good management team at, at places like Santa Anita and Del Mar to really look out for the gambler and to uh, try to put as best product forward as possible. Uh, as far as angles and stuff, you know, I wouldn't say that anything leap, leaps out at me. The only thing that I was really focused on is I thought opening week, the main track kind of favored the outside lanes. Uh, Inside was kind of dead. It's been, a, it's been a little more fair since then, but going forward, I'm kind of looking for horses who were stuck on the inside those first three days of the reopening of the meet uh, and see when they come back. If they draw more favorable post positions, I'll kind of look at them. Uh, I think the turf course has been pretty fair. Um, you know, you can win on the front end. I always like to look for horses who come from off the pace and are strong finishers, um, but um, you know, obviously that depends on, on how much speed is in the race. But, yeah, I think it's been pretty fair. Uh, nothing, nothing crazy leaping out at me. i just glad that we're back running and it's been safe and it's been exciting and we've had some, some good opportunities, uh, mostly because, you know, a lot of the horses are fresh. You know, they're fresh horses who are ready to put forward uh, their best efforts. So we have very evenly matched and competitive races. And anytime you have that, that makes for a, a, a good opportunity to, to, 
to, to find some value. I don't know if you know, but when I originally started writing, like giving out horse racing picks for Scott Shapiro's website, I actually started with Santa Anita. So I've always had kind of that inkling for the West Coast. I love the racing out there. I was super impressed with what they've done so far, too. I was impressed with no matter how many hecklers they had for the card on Saturday with all the short fields. The people that they're trying to get interested in the game are newer players, and newer players don't really understand that, oh, it's a four-horse field, so there's not a lot of value there. But, I mean, it was still great to see a horse like Swiss Skydiver come out and do that same performance again. Like, it shows that she's a really, really good filly and getting ready for the Oaks. Yeah, it's – it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, mm-hmm. right? There's always going to be people complaining about something. Um, you know, you could have a stacked card with 12 horse fields, and then it ends up chalking out, and everybody complains that it was a chalky day, right? So exactly. I, I find like I, I, I just I, I don't focus on stuff like that. I only look at things that I can control, and I can control, you know, my handicapping and how I look at a race and how I analyze a race, whether I think a race has value or not, whether it's a 12 horse field or a five horse field, you know, there are opportunities in every race. And if you don't see an opportunity pass, no one's forcing you to bet the race. Exactly. So, (laughs) so like to me, I just, I don't worry about those things. All I can say is like, given what's happened over the last two years uh, out here in California, the fact that we had an 11 race card uh, on Saturday, right. Super quality horses, like you said, Swiss, Swiss Skydiver um, in the Oaks. We saw some really good horses in the um, in the Santa Anita Derby. We had some really nice turf horses. So, you know, it's just if you can't take some enjoyment out of that, then you know why even bother? Why, why are you why are you involved in the game? Right? I mean, we watch the horses run. We love to see them run. We love to see good performances. Um, and it's up to you as a better to decide which races you want to get involved in. Same thing with poker players. It's all about game selection. You know, if you don't know who the mark at the table is, it's you, right? So you want to find games where you feel like you have an advantage. Same thing with horse racing. I know guys who could look at a five-horse field and take thousands out of it. You know what I mean? So like I said, there's just value. There's value to be had if you know where to find it, and if you can't find it, move on to the next race. I'll never forget my uh, dad took me to Mohegan Sun for my 21st birthday. And I w- I'm a, I used to play a lot of poker online, uh, but I also like seven-card stud a lot. And I, I asked him, I said, do you guys have a seven-card stud game? And they go, yeah, it's in the morning at like 9.30. So I show up, and it's me and people that are in their 70s and you know late 60s. And they're like, who the hell is this kid sitting down here? And I walked <laughs> out three hours later with like $300 in like basic seven-card stud, and I went to leave, and the, the major D of the – entire room came up and he goes are you going on break and coming back you leaving i go oh no i'm going home they're like good because they did not like you in your game and i was like i'm sorry and the guy goes yeah they said that you should stick to texas hold'em i said well i'm sorry about that but just game selection i'm I'm decent at seven card stud too funny with that though but even with exactly and then you find you find your spots you know what you're good at and you try and take advantage of it and even like for how much people were complaining about santa anita you know, Naira's card was stacked top to bottom, but then their app goes down, and then they're getting crap for it. And Woodbine, yeah. for them having such a full-fielded day, I think that their PR Twitter page tweeted out the average mutual was like $16 for a winner. To me, that shows that it's just bombs galore, and that's a hard day to handicap as well. So it's like for all the tracks that were going on, pick your poison. Don't play six tracks at once anyway, because that's, that's difficult to do in itself. Yeah, my feeling is like, I mean, there, there are a lot of problems with horse racing. I mean, we all know that. Um, and I know a lot of times the gambler 
get short trip. You know, takeout is, is, a, is a real problem. Uh, diminishing horse population, it's a real problem. You know, there are challenges we face in this game, not only from an industry perspective, but from a wagering perspective. But again, I, I like to focus on things that I control, can, can, can control. So I look for, for, for races where I feel like I have an edge, and those are the ones I get involved in. Um, and, you know, when you get on Twitter and you see all this negativity, and like I said, people can complain about a 12-race card with 12-horse fields, <laughs> and, you know, if, if it chocks out, people are going to, you know, complain about it. So it's just, it's just the way it is. Um, but I, I try not to get bogged down in that negativity, focus on things that I can control, and, um, you know, support the wagers that I think give – uh, give good value to the player. Like, you know, we talked on Pete's show about the Stronic Five. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about a great bet. It's a dollar minimum, and it's a low takeout. Like, why wouldn't you get involved as a horse player? If you're going to get on Twitter and complain about takeout and field sizes and whatnot, okay, well, here's an opportunity to really make a score. You know, yeah. get involved. What are, I don't know if you heard, but also Canterbury is coming back up this week, and they're doing a 10, 10% takeout on their pick five. I mean, what else can you ask right. for with that? How, how could you not try and support something like that? You know, they're giving you an opportunity to get more value for your wagering dollar. Why wouldn't you get involved? Now, going back to you as a handicapper, what would you consider as like your specialty? Do you have a specialty like with a certain class level or a distance? Is it are you better with sprints, routes? Is it dirt turf? Like, what do you think is your specialty that you love to see on a card? You know. I, I mean, I love turf racing like most handicappers. You usually have big full fields and you usually have, um, you know, honest paces. But I look at every race individually. And to me, I feel like I have my most edge, uh, the best edge and strongest edge when I really understand the pace of a race. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I use, I use optics EQ and I use the optics plot to really help me understand how the race is going to unfold. And to me, so it doesn't matter if it's a sprint race or, you know, route race, turf, turf. If you have a good basic understanding of the race shape and where the horses are going to be positioned, then I feel like that's, you know, 80% of the struggle, right? Just getting a good idea in your mind of how the race is going to unfold. And then from there, you can figure out, well, yeah, even though this horse is, going to get a perfect trip and things set up well for this horse. Does this horse belong at this class level? Is this horse fast enough? You know, then you can start answering the question, but it, to me, it all begins and ends with the pace of the race uh, and the race shape. So um, I would say my strength would be analyzing the race from that perspective and then winnowing down my um, contenders and toss outs based on how I think the race will, will unfold. Now, let's say there is like a lone speed horse in a turf race. I know that you say you like the deeper, the closers coming from the back. Does that automatically kind of give you like they get one X to their name, like they're almost a toss out if one other thing is wrong, like that you see maybe they have low buyer figs or they're not exactly formful to this race. Once you see a pace discrepancy like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not stubborn. If I think, if I think a horse has a, has a, um, you know, a significant pace advantage, even though the horse might be a little class compromised, I will, I will look at that horse mm-hmm. and might not end up using the horse and, we'll, you know, keep, get into some of that kind of analysis a little later on. But, um, you know, I'm not stubborn about things like that. Uh, I will say though, my least favorite race to watch is a, 
is a turf horse that wins on the front end. I hate that. Because mm-hmm. turf racing is all about, like, trips and jockey and strategy and pace. And, like, when a horse just makes the lead and just doesn't stop, like, that just drives me bonkers. Um, and, and usually I kick myself for not having that horse. Uh, but sometimes I do. You know, there was um, – uh, who was it? I think it was um, – Maybe Murph last year, mm-hmm. Santa Anita. Sounds about right. It's a graded, graded stakes race and um, just had a, to me, my mind had a clear pace advantage. And like I said, you don't usually play those kinds of horses, but I'm not stubborn. I'm not going to overlook it if I think that horse is good enough to win and he's going to get the right trip. What a perfect segue we have here. Let's get into talking about these races. Race number seven <laughs> from Saturday at Santa Anita. It was the state bred Crystal Water State going one mile on the turf. What were some of your thoughts in here? Yeah, you know, I talked on Pete's podcast about after looking at the whole card, I really thought that race seven and race 11 were the best opportunities uh, on the day. Mm-hmm. And the reason I thought race seven offered a good opportunity is because I was against uh, the morning line favorite, Prince Earl. Not against Prince Earl as a horse. I think Prince Earl is super, super talented. Um, you know, greatest stakes winner now coming back against weaker company in a cowbred race. Uh, but to me, that was a red flag, right? You know, they ran the Shoemaker Mile two weeks ago. In my mind, I'm thinking if Prince Earl was ready or doing really well, they probably would have run the horse in the, in the grade one Shoemaker Mile, right? So this was a much weaker spot. Um, and you could also view it as, you know, the horse might be using this as a prep race. So my analysis of the race was I'm against Prince Earl. I need to find the other, you know, the, the, the horses who I think can win the race. So immediately I'm against the favorite, which, you know, which is when you're analyzing a race, that's what you need to do, right? You mm-hmm. need to assess the favorite and decide, hey, A, is this favorite super strong? And B, if the horse is super strong, will the horse be overbet and offer a little value? Or might you be able to get some value by using the favorite? I thought Prince Earl was going to be overbet, and I thought for me. Uh, so I was looking for um, a horse who I thought would uh, a decent trip in here. When I looked at the race, I thought there was going to be a significant amount of pace. You had some stretch-out sprinters. You had Green Tiger, who's a sprinter. You had Lieutenant Dan, uh, mostly sprinting. You had a horse like Kono, who liked to, you know, his last, uh, her, um, his last two races, he was on the lead. So I just thought there would be kind of a bunched-up uh, field early on with like three horses kind of pushing the pace. So I wanted to find a horse who was going to track the pace. And then I also wanted to find a horse who was the best finisher in the race, uh, Prince Earl excluded. So I looked at uh brand of the bartender who I've always liked, just a very, very honest horse. Um, I know he had done his best work as a closing sprinter, but early in his career, he had wanted a mile. Uh, they were adding blinkers. Espinosa's an aggressive jock. Thought he'd have this horse in a really good spot, sitting fourth. And if the pace was quick, like I anticipated, the front runners would start to back up, and Brown of the bartender would have first run. And uh, his come home times is always, have always been good, whether he's sprinting or routing. It, it doesn't matter. Um, so I, he, I made him my top pick in the race. And then, like I said, I was looking for someone to come from way off and maybe run them all down. And I was looking at Warden Jerry. I was a little worried because this horse's best work had always come going longer. You know, mm-hmm. this horse likes to run a mile and a quarter. Uh, but I thought the pace would be fast enough that it really wouldn't matter. So I kind of wanted to have a one-two punch there. Brando, the bartender, getting a tracking uh, trip. 
and then Ward and Jerry maybe mowing them all down, um, you know, if they, if they went a little too fast up front. But ultimately, my main opinion was being against the field in that race. It's funny, we were, I was on Pete's show doing the Naira Late Pick 5, and, you know, a horse like Prince Earl looks just like uh, Code of Honor, where uh, the horse is coming off a long layoff. This looks like such a prep to him. And I said, okay, I'll play against. And then you see this type, this, this same race as well. <laughs> it just looks like a prep. Right. Uh, gets an upgrade in jockey to Raspoli. It was funny, too. I had the exact same note for Ward and Jerry. Wants longer. And I, I love this yeah. when I see a horse that has some type of discrepancy that wouldn't fit well in the race, but he gets a top jockey like Pratt. Because as everyone knows, everyone just bets jockeys. All the money goes on Pratt because he's practically unbeatable, like Irad is at Belmont right now. And Pratt can't lug the horse six lengths up. Maybe he's good enough for a length or two, but he can't get that big switch. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was a little – I was a little – off on, on them thinking Warden Jerry, you know, because I thought there would be so much speed, he'd have a he'd have the right setup. But I mean, if you look, all of his best races really mile and three eighths, mile and a half. I mean, he's just really a stayer, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. have a quick turn of foot. He's not miler. Um, but like I said, I I was on him because I thought there'd be a fast enough pace, and maybe if the race just fell apart, he'd be the one who was finishing the strongest. The uh, the horse I ended up with in the Daily Gallop contest was the six King Abner. I just thought after the last two grade two tries, Elliot, they were on the dirt. He had the one okay race in the Cal Flag, state bred race, three by length and a quarter. I thought maybe they were just going to try and find an interesting little soft spot. I thought there would be good enough value. And the horse does like to win six for 24. He hasn't won on the turf yet, but three for four on the turf, and you're going to get somewhat of a price. I just kind of thought that this horse was going to be one that would be the good value price of the race. What did you do from a wagering standpoint here? Were you just a second on, on King Abner? Yeah, I know because Pete liked that horse. So we talked a little bit about this horse on the podcast. And yeah, mm-hmm. this is a very nice horse um, for sure. I actually thought um, the opposite of you guys, both you and Pete thought this horse would be a good price. I thought this horse would take money because it's got really good form, mm-hmm. right? I mean, good, good, good grade two form. I mean, granted, we talked about it was on dirt, but you know, the horse, even though the horse was winless on turf, he had still run really well on turf. So this is just a versatile horse. Who was going to trip out, too? He was kind of going to be sitting with Brando, the bartender. Um, I ended up siding with Brando, the bartender, over King Abner because those two had faced going a mile once before, and Brando, the bartender, won. So that's why I gave that horse the edge. But, yeah, King Abner was definitely a contender. Um, I played the pick five here, um, you know, and I, I used Brando, the bartender, Warden Jerry as my A's. I used King Abner as a B, you know, because like we said, the horse was going to, like I said, the horse was going to trip out, I thought. Um, and then uh, I didn't expect Brando, the bartender, to be a good, such a good price at 26 to 1. So I ended up betting him to win. And then I used him on top and underneath in exactas with Warden Jerry and King Abner. With weighted, I weighted more money with Warden Jerry and Brando, the bartender, because those are my top two choices. Um, but I also had an exact box with King Abner and Brando, the bartender. So that's, that's what I did there. But I, I, you know, wanted to get off on the good foot in the pick five, because I just, I thought this race, I thought this race set up for, for something, for something good, because I didn't think Prince Earl had to win. And he was, he was hammered. I forget what he went off at, but he took a significant amount of money and um, I was looking to beat him. When you see a horse like Brandon the Bartender where you're like, okay, I'm going to play him, I like him, and then, boom, all of a sudden he's a big monstrous price, like you said, 26-1. to 1. 
Does that ever make you think, like go, am I missing something? Do I have to go back and look at the horse? Because for me, I kind of like to trust my th- my pattern of thinking. And if the public is way off on a horse, to me, it's better not just still to take a shot. Because I know so many people are like, oh, I guess I missed something, and they won't use the horses powerfully or they'll use them underneath only and not play the wind bet. And then the horse goes out and wins, and it's like you start thinking of other people's opinions more than your own. Yeah, I, I will never do that. If, if a horse I like is is ignored, I'm thrilled. Absolutely yeah. thrilled because, because, you know, finding, sniffing out long shots are few and far between. So, if you know, I thought Brandon the bartender probably fair value on that horse. I thought I thought John John White's morning line was was pretty good on all the contenders except Prince Earl. I thought Prince Earl was going to be six to five uh, in this field. I thought eight to one on Brandon the bartender was a fair price. So when he kept drifting and drifting and drifting, you know, that's when you got to press those situations, right? You get a bit more money. If you like a horse and, and, and nobody else does, that's your opportunity. Uh, the only time I'll let the tote board really sway my decision-making is if um, a horse is taking a significant amount of money that I may have overlooked. Mm-hmm. So I'll go back and then I'll look at the horse and say, okay, maybe I missed something. Um, you know, we'll, when we get to the, the nightcap, we'll talk about there was a horse in there that took a, a lot of money who I had as a C contender. I went back and I looked and I looked and I looked before the race and I said, I still don't like the horse. Yeah. So, you know, then to me, again, there's another opportunity, right? A horse is taking a lot of money and yeah, you can look and see if you overlooked something and maybe you want to shape, reshape your opinion based on the steam. Uh, but, you know, you could also look at it and say, look, I still don't like the horse. So this is an even better opportunity for me to get involved. Look, as a horse player, it pays to be contrarian. You want to go, you want to zig while people zag. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to go with the crowd. The opportunities to make money are when you see something that everybody else doesn't. So yeah, when Brando, the bartender was 26 to one, I said, all right, this is, this is, you know, I got to double my win bet. Try try and really take some money out of the race. Let's see if we can get Brando, the bartender home, or if I can get King Agner home here in the seventh race right now. And they're off in the crystal water. King Abner began well. Grinning Tiger takes the lead. Kono on the inside is now second. Lieutenant Dan moves right into contention and is a clear-cut third. Then it is King Abner now fourth. Brando the bartender next. Oliver moves up three wide. Prince Earl is at the back of the field with Ward and Jerry. Around the first turn they go, chasing Grinning Tiger, who leads by a length and a half to Kono in second. King Abner and Lieutenant Dan are right together, third and fourth. Prince Earl is in between horses, six lengths off the lead. Brando, the bartender, inside of him. Oliver, three wide, and Ward and Jerry bides his time at the back of the field. They're heading to the half-mile pole in the Crystal Water Stakes. And it's the long shot, Grinning Tiger by a length. Kono is still in second. King Abner inches up a closer third. Lieutenant Dan is next, followed by Brando, the bartender, Oliver, Prince Earl is on the inside, six lengths off the lead, getting a nudge to pick it up now. And Warden Jerry at the back. Grinning Tiger has been there throughout. Three quarters of a length to Kono. 
King Abner, Lieutenant Dan on the outside, moving into contention now with a three-wide bid. Two more to Brando, the bartender. Prince Earl behind him. They're at the top of the stretch. It's Grinning Tiger still in front. Lieutenant Dan in hot pursuit. King Abner at the rail. And Brando, the bartender. Prince Earl far back. Final furlong. Grinning Tiger trying to hold on. Lieutenant Dan outside. Brando, the bartender. It is still Grinning Tiger. A huge long shot. Grinning Tiger. Smiling Tiger's son goes wire to wire in the Crystal Water Stakes. And I know we talked about horses winning on the lead in turf. How about Grinning Tiger paying $186 to win 91 buyer? Picked, tried to pick a long shot. We were both on the wrong long shot. Yeah, there's nothing worse than being right and being wrong at the same time. Right. <laughs> both right about taking on Prince Earl and both wrong about the horses we use. Um, you know, but we, we, we talked about, you know, the lead up to the conversation was all about how pace makes the race and they grinning tiger stretch out sprinter made the lead. If you look at the internal fractions from the race, you'll see that the second and third quarters were really slow and nobody pushed this horse. Kono mm-hmm. was under a stranglehold and grinning tiger had everything his own way. And you know, when these horses get an easy lead, they get brave. Um, they have nobody challenging them or pushing them. So nobody pushed the pace and grinning tiger, uh, got away with an easy lead, and there you go. That's how that's how long shots. <laughs> that's how big price horses come in. I actually I actually had talked to two guys from the uh, Daily Gallop head to head contest. One of them, Bobby Luch, he's a handicapper who puts out free picks on Twitter. He actually picked Grinning Tiger in the contest and blew his com- competitor wow. away in one race. And it was funny because his competitor had picked the five straight chalks in a row before that race. So he must have been feeling great, and then that happened. And then Marshall Sterling didn't pick this horse. He picked him second, and I kind of broke down Marshall's idea this morning before we had it, and his thing was that the horse hadn't had a break in over a year and that the break would be a good thing for him to come back. The horse would be forwardly placed. The 93 mm-hmm. with Figueroa back in October was like the kind of race that he was basing it all off of and that right. it was the last time the horse had really had a good race without blinkers on. So no blink blinkers off and that kind of stuff. It wasn't just one or two things. He had five or six things that led him to this horse. So I thought that was interesting because usually for a long shot, it's one or two main factors. He had a bunch lined up, so it was good to get that kind of talk from him. That's really, really smart handicapping there. Now with Brando, the bartender ran third, improved the buyer from 81 to an 87, just not the right trip or just with it being the pace the way it was, it's just impossible for that type of horse to get that. I I think he I think he ran his race. Um, you know, it, 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 he said he had an eighty-seven buyer, and that that kind of lines up with how he usually runs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he got the trip I wanted. I, he did have a little bit of trouble early on in the race. You know, Espinosa was very hesitant about keeping the horse inside, so he he steadied very very slightly a couple of times. I don't think it made a whit of difference. I, I think you know, Brent Tiger stole the race. Um, Brando bar, the bartender won his race. What I needed them to do was for them to, you know, for Kono and Grinning Tiger to go a lot faster, and then for Brando, the bartender, to just win his race and have those other two horses back up. Uh, Kono backed up, but Grinning Tiger never backed up. And even if even if that had happened, I don't think Brando, the bartender, was going to beat Lieutenant Dan, who ended up running second, right? Um, mm-hmm. Lieutenant Dan is a super, super nice horse. I mean, what an honest cowbred. Fires every time. I was just against him today because, again, I thought he was a better better sprinter than um, – than a two-turn horse. So, um, but you know, I, I I don't regret that pick. Twenty-six to one. The horse ended up running third. Um, 
just, you know, didn't work out, even though we had the right idea of trying to beat the favorite, who, who was off the board, by the way. You know? Correct, so, at four to five. Um, yeah. Would would you now upgrade all the closers from that race and then downgrade, you know, Grinning Tiger and the horse that was in second when you're looking forward into the next race? Yeah, because what happens with a horse like Grinning Tiger is, you know, he wins at 92 to one, loose on the lead. He comes back, he's not going to get a loose lead again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to give it, they're going to respect him. I don't think anybody respected him in this race, and that, that's why he was able to do what he did. Um, so they're, they're going to respect him next time and say his speed is dangerous and we need to keep him honest. So he's not going to get the same, the same setup uh, unless he just catches a race with, with all deep closers. You know, we'll have to see where he shows up next. So, yeah, I tend to be against Grinning Tiger next time. Warren Jerry, yeah, if he would probably run at Del Mar in one of the longer races there, I would certainly give him another chance, um, you know, because – He's a distance specialist, so um, it, it was my fault for picking him in that race um, because I said, you know, he likes to go longer. I just was hoping for a quick pace scenario so that it wouldn't matter. Uh, but, yeah, I would certainly back him again. I'd look for King Abner to get back on dirt mm-hmm. uh, with, the, with this, with this uh, turf tune-up under his belt. Prince Earl, I don't know what to make of. I mean, he had a little traffic trouble early on in the race and was a little uncomfortable, but, you know, once they – once they turned for home and he had clear room to, to make a bid, he just, he never kicked on. And then the jack, jack just wrapped up to save him for another day. So I don't know, maybe that really was just a prep and, you know, we'll see, we'll see the horse run much better at Del Mar, but I wouldn't be in a hurry to back him off that performance. Um, and Brad of the bartender, I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see cut back sprinting, but unfortunately Del Mar runs five furlong turf sprints and that's mm-hmm. too, I think it might be just a little too short for him. Um, you know, I think he's, he's, he's really solid at, uh, five and a half and he'd be, he'd be terrific down the hill, but they don't run those races anymore. So, um, so it'll be interesting or he can go up to golden gate maybe and, and see what they have up there. Uh, but, uh, you know, this, and Lieutenant Dan, I, I would bet back anywhere because mm-hmm. all the horse does is fire. What a, what a cool racehorse. 12 starts, 400,000 in the bank. Now with the second, even more really solid Calvred. Let's jump into the next race here, Frank. Eighth race. It was the grade one. I can't say the word run happy with it. Santa Anita Derby because run happy is literally everywhere. Going a mile and eighth on the dirt. Really cool race. Not the biggest field in the world, but you get a horse like Honor AP back. Three for three authentic. And what was kind of like my hidden horse was Rushy in this. Where'd you end up going? Well, yeah, like I said on, on Pete's show, I've been, I've been touting Honor AP ever since he ran second in his maiden at Del Mar. When we did the post-Pacific Classic Day recap on Pete's podcast, um, we were talking about some of the races in retrospect and looking at horses going forward. And I said, of any horse in the race, um, in this maiden race, that I, that I would want to own, it would be Honor AP. Mm-hmm. And I thought the horse ran so well in that six-furlong race and just looked like a horse who you knew was going to improve, um, especially with sheriffs doing the training. So I was actually a little surprised. Well, I'm not surprised, but I thought there was a world in which this horse would come back in his next start in the front runner. That's how good I thought the horse was. Yeah. That he might go from running second in a maiden to, to, to taking on stakes company. But, you know, Sheriff's is, is super patient, and I respect him for that. He's such a good horseman. Uh, he ran the horse in the maiden. The horse broke the maiden, won easy, had a little time off, came back in the San Felipe against Authentic, ran what I thought was a very good second. You know, Authentic had, the, had a loose lead, was never challenged. 
um, at a shorter distance. And I just felt that Honor AP got way more out of that prep race than Authentic did. So I was really looking forward to uh, Honor AP in the Santa Anita Derby. I thought he'd be sitting on a huge, huge race. Always been a fan. Um, a little biased because I've been following him, you know, like I said, since he broke his maiden. Mm-hmm. To me, the race was all about Honor AP. Um, he was a, a, a single on every you know, single A on all of my tickets. Um, and the other horse that I was looking at, you know, I looked at, I looked at Rushy and Friars Road. And as good as those, that last race was with Rushy, I was thinking, well, you know, it's like really trying to do some really deep digging here because I wanted to look for a horse who could maybe run second, mm-hmm. right? Because I wanted to try and beat Authentic um, based on the nine furlongs and the fact that I thought there was going to be a fast pace with shoot or shoot in there and he'd be up on the fast pace. So maybe if Authentic runs third and I can catch an exact with honor of AP on top of a price horse, um, you know, I might be able to do, do a little bit of damage. Uh, so I looked at Friars Road and Rushy and I had actually ended up giving Friars Road a little bit of an edge only because, well, two things. Friars Road was nominated for the Triple Crown. Rushy wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, well, the barn probably thought that, you know, Friars Road was the better horse. And if you look, they both debuted in the same race on October 26th, and Friars Road went off at 11-1. to Rushy went off at 22-1. to Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, well, the barn thinks that this Friars Road is a little bit better. Well, you know, you can kind of wipe that out because if you see what Rushy's done since then, you know, he broke his maiden in really impressive fashion. Then he goes to Oakland and runs a really, really good race. Pratt rides and he gets off Friars Road to ride him. So Rushy had a lot of positives. Um, so just going back and forth on those two, I couldn't really decide. I gave a little bit of an edge to Friars Road. But what I ended up doing is I ended up looking at uh, Andro Dior mm-hmm. a little bit because um, I don't know, I just – this horse's two-year-old campaign was so good, right? Yeah. Um, broke the maiden in super impressive fashion, going long on the turf from the nine hole at Golden Gate, like and to win by eight lengths, right? Yeah. I'm like, so this horse, I'm like, right away I knew this horse was a good racehorse. And then to follow that up with a second in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and then a second in the Los Alfutori, this horse, very, very talented. I was willing to forgive the two the fairgrounds race and the Oakland Park race, you know, some horses just don't like to ship. Uh, Blaine Wright's the West Coast guy, you know. So I was going to toss those, and I knew this horse would get away at a good price, and I'd be getting a quality animal at a good price to maybe run second under Honor AP. Uh, but really, my whole day was based on Honor AP, you know, single in the pick five. Most of my combinations in the pick four were going through Honor AP, you know, singling him to start it off. So um, that, that's, that's really how I saw the race. It's interesting with Anel Dior. I love the two-year-old campaign, like you said. The BC Juvenile, though, came back so weak. You heard it every single week when another horse would run back. Oh, these, this, that race just comes back awful. So I bet him in the Risen Star, cause I, at even money, because I just thought, you know, I'll take the two-year-old form, hope that they're wrong about the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. They obviously weren't. So at the <laughs> Arkansas Derby, I'm like, this horse is 10-1. to 1. Okay, one more bet. Doesn't do anything, and I said, "This horse could be against one other horse in this race, and I would not be playing, be betting this horse. I just couldn't. Right. Just, I totally just. And it's interesting because I didn't even think about the shipping angle that you gave. That makes way more sense to me on why the horse didn't fire the two races, or maybe he was just like, what happens? The two-year-old that just is much better than the other competition, right? And now he's come yep. back, and the late-blooming three-year-olds are just crushing him. The yep. uh." The horse I ended up on was Rushy. I just saw, I saw three horses here 
that were all improving in all starts. Rushy had one extra start and had the extra improvement. And I saw Pratt jump off. I saw Pratt at a price. Yeah. And for me, I was like, okay, honor AP will probably be, you know, seven to five. Authentic will probably be even money. And it's a pick and pray contest we play. So I'm like, whatever, I'll, I'll get the price. 12 to one on Rushy. I'm totally cool with it. If I had known honor AP would have been two to one, this would have been a completely different race for me. I just could not yeah, believe yeah. that this horse went up in price and not down. Yeah, two to one was actually I I I didn't end up betting uh, in the wind pools because because the horse was two to one and I usually like a little bit of a, a stronger win price when I bet my win money. But at the same time, two to one was excellent value on that horse in this field, considering that you know if you were against authenticate. And Honor AP is by far the most likely winner of the race of all the other. But, um, you know, I can't fault you for picking Rushy at a good price. I mean, the, the form's good, steadily improving. And like you said, the tell there was Pratt getting off yeah. Friars Road. I mean, I know Friars Road was still a maiden, but those are good races the horse had run in and, and, and had shown a decent stretch run and had already run at a mile and an eighth, right? So Pratt could have easily said, well, this horse is also improving and already is shown he can handle the distance. Goes, no, I'm going to get on Rushy. He likes Rushy better. He had never ridden Rushy before. So I can't fault you for taking a 12 to one on a horse like that with the best jock in the colony, you know, getting on, getting on to ride. Now I know you were probably knocked out. Of, you, were, you were obviously knocked out of the pick five in the last race. So did yeah. you just go pick four, start here, single honor AP and move on? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I do the matrix uh, with ticket maker and I grade all the horses. Mm-hmm. Um, so Honor AP was my only A in the race. I did use Authentic as a B. Um, it's kind of a, you know, sort of a, a little backup. But I also used Anno Dior as a B um, in case Honor AP didn't fire and, and, and mm-hmm. Anno Dior, you know, stepped up and ran a big race and I knew he'd be a big price. Uh, but when I do the matrix and I give it out, you know, I tell people, look, if you have strong opinions in certain combinations that you like more than the others, based on your letter grades, you need to play those combinations more times, right? You don't play them for 50 cents. Yes. You might play them for a buck or two bucks or four bucks, whatever. Whatever your budget allows and how strong your opinion is. So um, 90% of my action was, you know, tripled up on the Honor AP combinations. And then I was using kind of the other combinations for, you know, less money, but seeing if maybe, you know, if, if things went a certain way, you could still hit something decent. But I, I really wanted to make sure that if Honor AP had won, not only did I have good coverage the rest of the way, but also that the strongest opinions in those other three races were maximized by playing them multiple times. Like, I can't stress that enough. Like, especially with the 50-cent denomination now, you have to get really, you have to get really aggressive mm-hmm. with your opinion. So if you like a, if you like a combination – you have to play it multiple times because the 50 cent denomination allows people to play way more combinations. I kind of feel like you're, 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 everything is a little devalued anyway. So you kind of need to really step up and crush your opinions when you have them. I listen to magic Mike all the time. And um, Mike Samich, the reason that he's crushing it so hard over there is he might be missing his 50 cent pick fives but he might be hitting his fifth his $5 pick fives cuz he's got all the right combinations there and when right. you see all of his tickets it's like oh he had $15,000 well yeah cuz he's got it five times it's actually supposed to be 2200 for 50 cents but he's got it 
right. so many extra times. Yep, and I, same thing with with the pick three. I mean, you you know, you don't want to play just a fifty cent pick three. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you got to play your pick three for ten bucks or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you have to adjust based on, on the fact that the minimum allows for so many other players to play those combinations and spread. But where you have to, if you're targeted and you're smart about it, everybody else who's spreading in those other races, well, you know. 90% of their combinations are going to be dead, right? Mm-hmm. If you're targeted and you're hitting your A, 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 and you're hitting it multiple times, you're taking all their money, right? You're taking all those dead combos. So that's, that's really how you have to play the, the, in my opinion, how you have to play the pick three and pick four. Um, if, you can, if you have the bankroll to do it with a pick five, more power to you. But it's a little harder with the pick five because of the five races and the exponential price of your ticket going up based on the combinations. But um, yeah, that's the smart way to do it. If you're a good handicapper, then you have to maximize your opinion and put more money into the race on your strongest combinations. Agree 100%. Let's see if Honor AP gets it done for Frank or if I got a little bit of value with Rushy right now. And they're off in the run-happy Santa Anita Derby. Authentic broke a bit outward. Rushy is flashing early speed. So is Shooter Shoot. Authentic on the far outside. And Odor won from the outside. Honor AP will settle behind this quartet. Asul Coast is just inside of him. And Friars Road is at the back of the field. Shooter Shoot is the early leader. In front by three quarters of a length to Anodor in second. Authentic in the clear. Inches up on the outside and now takes the second spot. Rushy is tucked in on the fence. About two and a half lengths off the lead. Honor AP inches up just outside of him. Then it's Azul Coast with about four to make up. And two more back to Friars Road. They have five furlongs to run in the run-happy Santa Anita Derby. And the leader is Shooter Shoot. It's a narrow advantage. Authentic on the outside and Anodor in between them. Rushy racing right together with Honor AP past the half-mile pole. Azul Coast five lengths off the lead. Friars Road inside of him. Shooter Shoot continues to lead. Anodor is just a half length back in second and authentic. Three wide still. Honor AP takes fourth on the outside of Rushy. These five have been running the whole way the same way. A big gap then to Friars Road and Azul Coast. Authentic makes his move and so does Honor AP on the outside. Honor AP coming with a big Powerful, sweeping move on the outside of Authentic. And Odor there in the final furlong. And Honor AP runs right by Authentic. And Odor at the rail. And Rushy, a 16th to go. Honor AP, a length and a half. Authentic. Rushy running on late. It will be Honor AP. A very impressive winner of the run-happy Santa Anita Derby. Authentic was second. Rushy third. And Odor finished fourth. And Honor AP gets it done with a nice 640 win mutual. The buyer came back 102, so he's improving yet again. Nice pick, Frank. Yeah, this is just such a quality horse. I mean, I wish I could take a lot of credit for sniffing this horse out early, but a lot of people saw the same thing I did, you know, and he's been on a lot of people's radar since then. And he did it the right way. I just, I love the way he was just unhurried, settled into a nice stride on the back stretch, just kind of tracking the pace wide. Um, not the right pace setup, but what what impressed me the most is about halfway around the turn when he just starts to slowly pick it up, and then as they're about to enter the stretch, you know he's a couple of lengths behind the front runners, 
Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, they're, they, they're about to enter the stretch, and he's on even terms. Like that, that little, so that subtle turn of foot around the turn, around, you know, the, 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 end, the far end of the far turn, mm-hmm. you just love to see that, right? That's like something like Zenyatta would do. Like she'd be hopelessly out of it, and all of a sudden, she'd just, she'd make that little scoot move entering the stretch. And then you knew once she leveled out, she was just going to take off. Same thing with Honor AP. Once he, he made that little scoot move entering the stretch, and then once he leveled out, you just you knew the, you know go to the windows. Um, and then I kind of like jokingly tweeted after the race, seeing the gallop out, like you know thinking inside the the horse's head. If Honor AP could speak, he'd go, "Hey, anyone got any longer races?" Right. I mean, he exactly. Like he would just want to just keep running and running and not stop. And I think people will look at Authentic and be like, oh, what a letdown for a big-time favorite. I think most of that money is just money for on Bob from out there. Everyone just sees yeah. Bob Baffert with a 3-for-3 three 3-year-old. Three, I think Honor AP was exactly meshing with him. Even Rushy going off at such a bigger price, like 12-1, to 1, he was only five or six points off, and that is like two lengths. And for these lightly raced 3-year-olds, they can improve like five, six lengths at a time, not even two. So yep. when you see a horse like Rushy run third and Authentic run second, like – I think that that just made the most sense, and I think the Anandior party is just over at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he didn't have the greatest of trips. He's kind of uncomfortable, you know, up on the pace between horses. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think his his best days might be behind him. Um, or actually, you know what? I would give him one more chance if he got on turf. That's I'd very like to true see as him well. Back on turf. Yeah, I'd and like it... to see him back on turf, and maybe you got to teach him to relax a little bit more, you know, just if he can relax and get on turf. And I, I think he could be, I think he could be okay. And it's one of those horses. Sometimes but, you see a horse that he'll go back on turf and you're hoping it'll be a price, but with all these good dirt, you know, class, like seeing all the good class of the races, he'll probably be a low price, even though he probably shouldn't be with only the one race on the turf. Yeah. I, it all depends on who shows up and, you know, where he shows up in the race. Um, but he's he's still a nice horse. He just he hasn't exactly trained on, like you said. Mm-hmm. He's precocious, and and these other ones these other ones caught up. I mean, you look at that race, and a horse like Rushy right now has more upside than than Akadur, You know, which, which so, is crazy when you um, think you about gotta it. Take, yeah, when you look at what they did when they were younger. But um, and as far as authentic goes, like it wasn't a shameful performance. I know the horse had that weird break, veered out, and kind of like was up on the pace and it was a fast pace and it was expected to be a fast pace. So the horse ran, he ran a good race. I just think, you know, that's not, I never thought he was a horse who was going to excel as the distances got longer. That was just me. Uh, you know, it might prove me wrong. You know, it's Baffert. Um, that's kind of how I felt about improbable and the gold cup. Pete and I were talking about that race mm-hmm. on his podcast. And even though I used improbable, um, you know, I, I still had that distance in the back of my head, you know, he just didn't look like a horse who wanted to get the distance. Well, we know how that turned out, you know, he got back <laughs> doing the training <laughs> and it's a whole different ball game, but I don't know, just, you know, with, with, um, as the distances get, you know, longer, we lead up into the Kentucky Derby. Um, you know, I, I can't I'd be very hard pressed to see authentic turn the tables on a horse like honor AP. Right. I mean, I can't see it. I agree 100%. Let's jump on to this last race, Frank. It was race 11 from Santa Anita. It was a state-bred optional 20 N1X going 6.5 on the dirt. You said this was your second value race of the day, and it definitely seemed like that with a lot of different ways you can go in here. Yeah, I thought there were a lot of ways you can go in there, but I, I we actually really liked 
liked a, a, a horse. Um, I, I thought, I thought uh, take take the diamond lane was going uh, was sitting on a big race, right? One of the angles that I like, I like horses win their debut, right? When mm-hmm. horses bet four to five in its debut, in her debut, and I thought she did it very professionally, stalked a very fast pace, and you know gutted out a real victory against uh, a horse. Uh, Miss Megan, who finished third in that race, she came back to win her next race at Del Mar by like 12 lengths mm-hmm. and then went on to win a, a Calbred allowance race. So I thought that was a very, very good race. I was willing to forgive the next start, which was on the turf. It wasn't a bad race, but the horse just kind of, she just kind of ran evenly off a little bit of a layoff. And then she just couldn't string races together, right? So that, that was as a three-year-old. She comes back as a four-year-old in January. She's hammered. She's bet down to seven of five. Sets a blistering pace on the inside on a day where I thought the inside was terrible. Mm-hmm. She runs up the track, finishes six. I'm like drawing a line through that race. Now she's drawn outside. She gets wispily. She's four-year-old against a bunch of three-year-olds, mostly three-year-olds. I'm like, she's sitting on a huge race. I love to see horses who take a lot of money and then run what looks like really bad races on paper you can make an excuse for, yeah. right? You know, a lot of people are top sheeters. They look at that last race, they throw it out. You know, the, the, this horse can't win based on that last race. Well, I'm looking at that last race and I'm going, okay, this is a bad race, but okay, was there an excuse? Why was this a bad race? My thinking was this was a bad race because she dueled through fast fractions on the worst part of the track. Toss it. So she dropped outside. So like she was my top pick in the race. I really, really liked her. And a lot of my action uh, went through her as my single A in the race. But because I did think it was a pretty competitive race, um, I did want to have some backup. So I ended up using um, Little Grazen, uh, Time for Ebby, and Silk from Heaven as bees in that race. Um, I used Little Grazen almost just kind of by default because it was Pratt and Miller. Right, you, you almost know, have those, to do that. Those, they win a lot of races, and you just, you know, it's stupid to get beat by them if, you know, if you can use them. And if you're able to get a little value, you know, by beating Authentic in the first leg, even though our AP was two to one, you're, you're getting built in value because you know Authentic was on everybody's yeah. ticket. Even if they also did use Honor AP, they also used Authentic. You know, right. I wasn't using Authentic on 90% of my tickets. So I had some built in value. So I figured I could use a little grazing, even though I wasn't super crazy about the horse. My second choice was time for Ebby. Um, I've always liked her. I've always thought she was a very honest horse. I figured if take the diamond lane and then maybe dim light and a couple of others went out and set too fast of a pace, it would set up for a horse like time for Ebby. Um, and also a horse like Silk from heaven, another grinder who had done good and you know, done good, good work in elongated sprints. So I wanted those as kind of like my backups in case my horse didn't fire. And there was a chance, right? If you look at the last race, it was bad. Even though I made an excuse for take the diamond lane, it was a bad race. And there was a chance that she'd run another bad race. So I did want to have some backup, even though she was my top pick in the race. Um, and just we talked about horses taking money earlier in, in the segment and how, you know, you want to look and make sure you didn't miss something. Home Home took a was hammered in the doubles, the pick threes, the pick fours, and was the favorite in the pick five and the pick six. It was the favorite in all the multi, multi-race sequences. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand why. Yeah. So I went back, and the whole 20 minutes leading up to the race, I'm looking <laughs> at this horse and going, whoa, whoa, what am I missing? What am I missing? 
And I'm still like, I still don't like the horse. And the horse, I think the horse ended up going off as a favorite. It took two to one, took a ton of money. Um, so ultimately, I was against that horse. Despite that, all good horse players have to be fluid, right? You have to adapt to situations. You can't be, can't be stubborn. You can't be locked in. You have to trust your opinion. And you have to trust the process. But if you're introduced with new information, you need to synthesize that information and decide does that change my opinion? Well, in this case, the new information came in on home home, but I realized at the end of the day, it does not change my opinion of the race. And, you know, maybe the smart money was going to be right and I was going to be wrong. So be it. You know, you just make, you live with those decisions. Um, but, you know, I felt good about going into the last race. Um, you know, I had more, more action on, on my top pick, take the diamond lane, but the uh, pick fours to, Time for Ebby and Silk from Heaven were coming back pretty good, all things considered. So um, I felt like I had some, some, some shots in this race. I ended up following you. I ended up on the number eight, Take the Diamond Lane, as my top pick as well. I just kind of like you said, I like the debut. Even improvement, improvement a little bit in the, in the turf race is good and then comes off the layoff and just didn't fire. Four-year-old versus younger. Uh, my guy Ryan McCarthy has been teaching me and telling me, like, you know, just look at the numbers. You know, four-year-olds are winning a lot more races than when they're facing the three-year-olds out there. Yeah. Little Grayson is just that horse. Little Grayson is just that horse. Three races since December 2018. Like, that's crazy. They win the allowance two back, and now the horse is in for 20K. Usually when a horse wins an allowance, they're looking for a stake race. This horse, I know he had that she had 25 starts already, but it just seemed like – if I'm thinking trainer intent, I know Peter's got a big barn. It still just seemed like, why are they just going to let this horse go for 20000 when they could find another maybe listed stake and get a little bit more out of the horse? The number four, Silk from Heaven, I think it was you who tweeted out the Hector Palma stat of him just being awful in turf races. And I know this being a dirt race, and I know he's a much better dirt trainer. It just seemed to me, and yeah. now that I'm looking back at it, like the horse was like in between almost, like good race, bad race. And as we'll talk about after the race, just the key concept that I missed when looking back at the race this morning. What did uh? Now you said you you were using all four, or were they kind of still weighted in your tickets? No, no, they were definitely weighted. Take the Diamond Lane was an A, so most of my action was through Take the Diamond Lane. Um, I used Little Grazen more defensively, mm -hmm. um, and then I had time for Ebby and and Silk from Heaven a couple of extra times because I knew that they, they would be good value, you know, four to one morning line, six to one morning line. Um, so I had more combinations with those, with those horses. And the, the reason I, like I said, the reason I ended up on those two horses as more of my uh, backup horses, because if I, even though I like take the diamond lane best, if I, if, a, and there was a real chance of a speed duel to develop it, mm -hmm. take the diamond lane didn't clear and she got caught up in a speed duel, it was going to set it up for either Silk from Heaven or Time for, for Eddie. And they're both honest horses. Like, you look at their form and you don't get excited, and you go, well, you know, they both had a lot of chances to win and haven't been able to get it done. But they've always been right there, you know, kind of like grinding along. And there were just things to like about them given one of the pace scenarios of the race. I thought that Tate Diamond Lane was either going to clear and win or there was either going to be a massive speed duel that was going to set it up for time for Abby herself from heaven. Let's see if the smart money can get home, home, home. Or if me and Frank have take the diamond lane. Or if another horse wins the finale here at Santa Anita right now. And they're off. 
Dim lights, home, home, take the diamond lane in between them, all prominent, with Lil Grayson moving up now to claim third. And down at the rail, Wishful is close up. Now home, home settles fifth behind the battle up top. Then it's Baby Boo inching up on the inside of Silk from Heaven, Florentine Diamond. Time for Ebby will do her best running a little later on. It's Lil Grayson at the half-mile pole, Part of a contested battle with Wishful at the rail. Take the diamond lane, one from the outside. Dim lights fourth, four wide, but just a half length off the speed. A gap of three to Florentine Diamond racing on the outside of Home Home. Silk from Heaven is called on behind that pair. Time for Ebby is out of last. Baby Boo behind her. Lil Grayson takes him to the quarter pole and opens up two and a half lengths in a hurry on Dim Lights in second. Take the Diamond Lane is in third, followed by Wishful. Home, home, angles out, has plenty of work to do. As they straighten away, Silk from Heaven is trying to get a piece of it. A furlong out, Lil Grayson, four-length lead. Home, home, takes up the chase in the center of the track with Silk from Heaven and Florentine Diamond. It's still Lil Grayson with a three-length lead, but getting very tired. On the outside, Silk from Heaven's flying. It's going to be close. It's going to be photo finish. That is too close to call. Very tight. Silk from Heaven was flying at Lil Grayson. They hit the wire right together. Home Home was in between them third. And the number four, Silk from Heaven gets it done with a 66 buyer paying 2060. Nice pick, Frank. Home Home running third, so the smart money was wrong for once. But our top pick, yeeks. <laughs> yeah, you know, usually like when I come up with a clever, you know, a clever pick. They at least fire, you know, they obviously they don't always win, but they at least fire. She ran half a race. She ran basically the same race on January 18th, the race that I tried to make an excuse for, mm -hmm. where she dueled inside on the worst part of the track and then spit the bit. Well, she dueled again. She wasn't fast enough to make the lead. She dueled between horses. I, mean, I will say she was a little uncomfortable. You know, anytime you're, it's a, it's a, there were four across the track and she was in the three pads. So she had two horses to her inside, a horse to her outside. It's a very stressful trip for any horse, let alone a filly coming off a layoff. So you could be a little forgiving, but I mean, she she was she was done around the turn, right? So the horse, the jock started pumping hard, and she had no response. So she, you know, she just backed up. Fortunately, that speed duel did develop, and um, I was a little bummed because when if you look at the break, time forever, you got left at the gate. Mm -hmm. I said, "Oh, gee, there is my second choice left at the gate." My top choice is getting in a speed duel after she wasn't able to clear. I'm like, I got no shot. Because um, I'm thinking, even though I use Silk from Heaven, you know, she typically runs late and just gets, you know, second, third, fourth, or fifth. She, yeah. she doesn't win. She's had like six or seven chances at this level. Um, but uh, as you saw, and she, she leveled out and she got the right pace to close into. A heartbreaker for, for those who have little grays. And I know a lot of people who read my column ended up using little grays a lot more than, than the other bees. Um, they even upgraded that horse to an A, so kind of stung for them. Um, I used her a lot less compared to time for Emmy and Silk from Heaven, but um, right on the wire, a bubbler, as my friend Frank calls it, a bubbler. I uh, I think when you look back too, and just looking at Little Grays and Silk from Heaven, like I said before, the reason why is the three in for twenty thousand all of a sudden? And if you look three back at the second off the layoff for Silk from Heaven, really nice seventy nine buyer, solid second, same jockey. It wasn't a slow pace. But now we come back around. Oh, second time off the layoff. And look, the horse improves again. Got up to a 66 buyer and just did enough to get it done. But at 9-1, to one, you only have to hit those horses 2 out of 10 compared to playing a horse, you know, 
Obviously, Little Grayson was also five to one, but that horse would usually be, you know, the eight to five, seven to five choice with Peter Miller and Pratt. You have to hit those horses five, six times out of ten to make any money at all. Yeah, nine to one was a really, really good price on that horse. You know, I think back like if I were playing in a tournament that day, mm-hmm. I would have been really upset because take the Diamond Lane also went off at nine to one, and that's the horse I was going to go with at the same price because that was my top pick in the race. But let's say take the Diamond Lane had taken a ton of money and ended up going off at three to one in there, then I'm on silk from heaven at nine to one, and you know you you you, you win a contest that way. Um, so again, it's just talking about being fluid fluid as a as a horse player based on new information that you're given and you're right you go back and you look at the horse's form the best race of this horse's life came second off the bench i mean look at that improvement mm-hmm. you know so and, and this was the same and beat time steady in that race um on, on february 14th so uh nine to one was a good price and and the race did set up for the horse perfectly you know um but flores did a good job and took advantage of it he let the horse settle settle into stride and uh, waited for this. <clears throat> Once the speed started to back up, he just had one horse to catch, Little Grayson, and he got him, he got her right on the wire. So you it was a really pe- exciting race. And actually, the pick four ended up paying uh, 98 bucks, all things yeah. considered, you know, for people complaining about short fields. And, um, you know, you had two-to-one honor AP started the sequence. Then you had Haribo, who was odds-on, yes. uh, win the cinema. So those were my two A's to start start the start the sequence, and then Improbable, who was also a heavy favorite, I had as a B, and then here you catch a nine to one in the last race, I had as a B, but my A A B B came back, paid ninety eight ninety eight dollars and ninety five cents, which I think is terrific, all things considered, based on on the field sizes and the the, the um, prices of the horse that won. So it paid to beat, it really paid to beat Authentic in that first leg. That's going to do about all the time we have for today. Frank, I want to say how much I appreciate you coming on the show for a second time. We have got to get you on more often. As Pete says, thank you for taking time out of your day to spend it with us here on Red Border Rewind. I love doing it. Thanks for having me. And uh, maybe we'll get to talk some more during Del Mar. Thanks, Spencer. Absolutely. Thanks to all of our great fans for listening to this show and my special guest, Frank Scatoni. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In the Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Forentel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.